and welcome to the Batanzerist Podcast, a baseball podcast. I'm Ryan Medeiros here alongside Max Tanzer, and we have a great deal of major signings to discuss this week. The Trevor Bauer signing, a major one, building up to this moment, signing with the Los Angeles Dodgers for three years, $102 million. Marcelo Zuna returning to Atlanta to sign with the Braves for four years and $65 million, and many other pretty significant signings going on across the league. But before we get to any of that, we're going to be talking about a major player retiring. It's uh, been a, a long time coming, but we've seen this moment uh, maybe coming for a few years now. It's finally official. Dustin Madroya, a Red Sox legend, retiring. Uh, what a great career for Dustin Madroya. Let me just touch upon some of his major accolades throughout his career. Four-time All-Star, most valuable player in the American League, Rookie of the Year, Three-time World Series champion, obviously in 2018. He wasn't a major part of that team on the field, but he played a major role off the field, helping some of the young players, giving them some guidance both in the field, at the plate. Pedroia, just one of the true Red Sox legends of the past 15 years. Max, what were your thoughts when you heard that Pedroia was retiring? I mean, it's sad, and I texted you, and... You know, you said it. It's been a long time coming. He hasn't played more than 100 games since 2017, 6 and 3 respectively in 19 and 18. But still, it's a big part of you and I's childhood. Obviously coming up in 2007 like you mentioned the rookie of the year award. This was a guy that defined grit and really was the or exemplified the way that, you know, as I grew up that I wanted to play the game. I was a smaller kid. He was 5 foot 9. Uh Used that speed, a great defender, great offensive player as well, obviously, as well. Really an all-around type player. Uh, and it's a shame that his career ended this way. You know, he was just 33 years old in his last full season. You know, he's just, what, 35, 36 right now. I can only imagine what numbers he would have put up if health uh, wasn't an issue for him right now, you know. And I, unfortunately, personally, without looking too deep into it, I don't see him as a Hall of Famer right now. But if he could play and stay healthy for an you know, at least four or five years after that 2017 season, you know, I think there may have been a legitimate case. Yeah, and you you mentioned how I mentioned that it was a long time coming, and I'm kind of happy to hear this news as a Red Sox fan, honestly, because, you know, this all started with, you know, some knee problems in 2017. Obviously, that Manny Machado slide was uh, one of the most talked about uh, kind of controversial plays on the field in recent memory. And, you know, he just never recovered from that. He had one of the worst knee problems really for anybody in the league, notably, obviously struggled, tried to come back in 2018, only had 13 plate appearances, three games. In 19, he had six games played, 21 plate appearances, just couldn't stay on the field. I am proud to say that I was at, uh, on my birthday, April 11th, 2019, Dustin Bedroya recorded his last hit in the major leagues, and I was honored enough to be at that game. I'll always remember that at bat, and a laser down the right field line to drive in a run. Just a classic Dustin Bedroya swing. You know, I just remembered the month, April 4, the day 11, 11, 4 plus 11 equals 15, his number. It was just, you know, this magical day for you on your birthday. Too. Very, very <laughs> fitting. Came to my head quickly right there. I don't know how I pulled that one out. But yeah, you're right. Uh, a tremendous career. Uh, really sad to see, but he'll definitely le or leave his mark on Major League Baseball for sure. I'm sure he's inspired so many players who are in the minor leagues and coming up right now. Uh, and he's a great mentor as well. So really, really good guy. Um, and I hope to see more of him in baseball for sure in the next couple of years or for the rest of my life, hopefully. 
Absolutely. And moving on here, we'll touch upon some of the big deals that we'll be talking about for the rest of the show. Trevor Bauer, it was built up. He had all this social media rolling. He got all the fans on the edge. He had the Mets thinking he was going there. The Angels fans rooting for him to go there. He ends up in Los Angeles, but in a different uniform, and that is the Dodger Blue. He has a three-year, $102 million deal, and he sets the new record for how much a player is going to be paid in one year. Just in his first year, he's going to be making $40 million. In his second year, if he accepts the option and stays with the Dodgers, he's going to be making $45 million. That's just an astronomical, mind-blowing number. In the third year, his pay will be a little bit less, but that's if he doesn't opt out after the second year. Two opt-outs, two really high-paid years. It's quite an unusual deal, but it's right up Bowers' alley. No doubt. And coming into this offseason, he said he wanted a one-year deal, and he got that exactly, plus security if he needs it. And I think this really shows how much the Dodgers trust Trevor Bauer. I mean, you're putting in $45 million in a player option for the next year for a guy who fans have been harping on the fact that he hasn't been consistent. 2018 was his only really good full season, and obviously only, what, 12, 13 starts in 2020. But the Dodgers obviously don't care about that as much rely on or I should say trust him to be able to maintain and sustain these numbers and that shows a lot about what they believe in in Trevor Bauer because that's a lot of money and well above the luxury tax now which is at 210 they're at 240 and still haven't even brought back Justin Turner yet if that's a plan I think for Bauer this is a really good move for him personally uh, for many reasons one it's close to home obviously growing up in the Southern California area brings breaks the single season salary record twice if he executes that option like you said huge market for his YouTube and social media media presence and literally gets a legit chance at winning a World Series. There's no doubt in my mind the Dodgers are the favorite. I'm sure you agree with me here. And don't get me wrong, the Mets are a very good team and probably would be World Series contenders with him and probably still are without him. But, you know, adding Trevor Bauer to that dominant rotation for the Dodgers really makes them the favorite here by far, in my opinion, and it's great for him. Yeah, and I mean, this is what happens when you have the type of season Bauer had going into your free agent uh, off season, and he had in 2020 a Cy Young season in the National League, 173 ERA, which led all of baseball in 11 starts. He, set, he had P through 73 innings and had a hundred strikeouts. So those are just fantastic numbers for Bauer. But it's not the first time we've seen him put up dominant numbers. In 2018, he was an All Star with the Indians. He had a 2-2-1 ERA, 175 and a third innings pitched, and 221 strikeouts. High strikeout numbers are no stranger for Bauer. I mean, he's one of those guys who's going to have good stuff all the time, and he knows his arm and his stuff better than anybody else. No doubt about that. And in 19, I was reading on it a little bit, too. He even said, you know, that's the big question mark, right? He had the 6-8-7 ERA or whatever it was when he went over to Cincinnati. Definitely a down year after coming off 2018. He said himself he had some injuries, some partially torn ligaments and in his ankle, uh, and some back spasms as well, which could have played a role. But either way, I am pretty confident he could bounce back. We were talking about it earlier today. Do I expect Trevor Bauer to be the elite pitcher he was in 2020? I mean, it's possible, but probably unlikely. But I still think he'll be very, very good, an all-star level player. And for the third guy in your rotation, if that's how they want to manage it, if that's how Dave Roberts goes, uh, he's absolutely incredible. Um, so, you know, for the Dodgers, this sets them from already World Series favorites, in my opinion, to... I don't even know what the level above that is, but it's pretty dang high right now. Yeah, and you mentioned that 6-3-9 ERA Bauer had in the second half of 2019 with the Reds, and that's just kind of like an unusual segment of his career. I mean, he's had ERAs a little bit higher, but 
His ERA pretty much stayed 4 or 5 or lower in all of his years with the Indians. And with those numbers, he always had those strikeout high totals that I mentioned earlier. I mean, 253 was his career high in 2019. And that's that same season that he struggled with the Reds. But prior to that, with the Indians, he had a 379 ERA and struck out 185 and 156 and two-thirds. With the Reds, even with that poor ERA, he still struck out 68 batters and 56 in a third inning. So he's just going to be a dominant pitcher even when he's struggling, which seems like kind of an odd way to put it. But I feel like he's one of those guys who kind of, you know, maybe he had something going on, like you said, in that 2019 second half with the Reds. But, you know, I think people don't give him enough credit if that's somehow possible if you're coming off the Cy Young. He gets a lot of that overrated talk, and I think people look at those four, you know, low four, mid four ERAs and kind of think, okay, he's terrible. But, you know, you and I have talked about this before. If you can have a mid four ERA, you're a very valuable pitcher. And with those high strikeout totals, he has the ability to not only be a very solid pitcher, a, very, a high end pitcher. So the Dodgers are basically just taking a, you know, maybe a gamble you could consider it if you're coming off a of Cy Young. I would say it's somewhat of a gamble in the way that $45 million for the second year, $40 million for the first year is a lot for a guy who has a career 3 9 ERA. I get that. But it's the Dodgers. They have the money. When in Rome, they spend the money, right? And I, I think if that's the case, there's not going to be too harsh of repercussions. And I mean, if you're Trevor Bauer here, let's look at the the fact that these player options, how much of a role they play. Because if there if there is this uncertainty coming into 2021, he plays bad. Guess what? He has a player option for 45 million dollars the next year. Execute that, you're fine. If not. I don't know if he – I would think that he's silly to decline that $45 million option, but let's say he dominates next year and proves that it is sustainable and not a fluke. He could go back into free agency and get a long-term deal for a lot of money if he wanted to. That is how incredible um, this deal is for Trevor Bauer. I mean, I don't want to say fleece the Dodgers, but he got a really good deal, and a big part of it is because of the way he markets himself and the brand. You know, everyone hates it. I get it. Or a lot of people hate it. You know, he's a little notorious for it. I understand that, but – Guess what? It worked, and he got paid for it. Um, and he started a little bidding war against arguably the two richest teams in baseball, the Mets and Dodgers, and that'll get you $40, $45 million. Oh, absolutely. Another guy who came in for a nice payday with Marcelo Zuna with the Atlanta Braves. Four years, $65 million. That's about $16 million per year he'll be getting with the Braves. A really nice deal for the Braves, who desperately needed middle-of-the-order production after Ozuna left a major hole in the four spot in their lineup. He'll slot right in back behind Freddie Freeman. They still have Acuna. They still have Albies. They still have Swanson. They'll have Darno back behind the plate. He just kind of reinforces what already was a fantastic offense. No doubt. I mean, the expected Woba was 387 and 417, respectively, in 2019 and 20, which is beyond amazing, obviously. And obviously, the defense is an issue with no DH as of now in the National League. But you got Acuna and Pache, who should be able to make up for some of the lack of ground that he covers. You got um, NCR on your bench as well, who, again, wasn't the guy he once was a couple years ago, but still is pretty good. This is the guy in the middle of the order that the Braves need. I think he makes Freddie Freeman better, obviously winning the MVP last year. Not, not taking anything away from Freddie, but them together is a pretty daunting duo in the middle of that order. And it's funny, Ryan. I mean, I was reading on it, and apparently, according to the press conference, Azuna didn't get an offer from the Braves until the day before he signed and then pulled the trigger right after that. I think that has to do with the universal DH, obviously, but the Braves got their guy. Obviously, Azuna wanted to be back there, um, and it's a good deal for both ends, I think. 
Yeah, and this is an interesting deal because, you know, it, it, it seems like a perfect fit. And I understand there's the outfield concerns, but we have to assume if it's not this year, next year, the year after that, the universal DH is going to be in the Absolutely. National League. I can understand why a guy like Nelson Cruz wouldn't get an offer because of his age or an offer from a National League team. But, you know, Ozuna isn't that old. He still plays a decent left field. He's still serviceable out there, um, you know, regardless of his defensive struggles. But let's just go through the numbers last year just for fun. 18 home runs. I'll, I'll, put, I'll put that number out there. 56 RBIs. Both led the league. 338 average. 431 on base. 636 slugging. That totaled up to a 1,067 OPS or a 175 OPS plus. What an amazing season. You couldn't ask for a better 4-3-4 middle of the order bat. Who cares where you put him? He's going to produce. He just hits the ball hard. All the advanced stats support him. You know, this was a huge year for him. Talking about another guy who had a major year before heading into free agency again. With the Cardinals, he struggled, you know, in 18, 19. He was an all-star in 16, 17 with the with the Marlins. He had a major season in 2017 where he hit 37 home runs, 124 RBIs, and had a, um, a 149 OPS plus. That was a major, you know, d- year for him. But since then, he struggled in 18 and 19 and, you know, Coming into 20, this was a major season for him. He kind of signed and took a flyer with the Atlanta Braves to kind of bet on himself and prove that he could produce. And he did exactly that, and he got paid uh, you know, a hefty amount for it. Very Josh Donaldson-esque for the Braves in 2019, doing the same thing here in 2020. Something I noticed, too, dating back to 2018, his walk rate skyrocketed. The strikeout rate has declined steadily as well, but the walks have gone up a lot in the last couple of years, and you know that helps the on-base, obviously. He's been more selective, getting good pitches to hit, and I think that definitely plays a role. Um, and you bring up a tremendous point about the universal DH, hoping that it comes at least after 2021, if not in 2021, if they change their decision the next month or so. Uh, should be able to be a viable guy in the middle of the order, and the defense shouldn't be too much of an issue. Yeah, and I mentioned Nelson Cruz earlier, so let's get right into Cruz. Another DH type, he returns to the same team that he played for last year, much like Ozuna. And he had great numbers with the Twins in 2020. Cruz will get a one-year, $13 million deal. Maybe not, you know, the type of money that you'd expect for a guy who, you know, had a 169 OPS plus. I mean, that's, you know, great numbers for Cruz. In 53 games played, he knocked 16 home runs, hit 303 with a 370 or 397 on base, 595 slugging. That was good enough for a 992 OPS together. You know, he's one of those guys who's just been a continuous force for the Twins, both on and off the field. He's a very steady hand off the field. He's a great clubhouse guy. You know all about him from his time with the Mariners. He's one of those great leaders. He's like a, you know, he's like to the Twins what J.D. Martinez was the Red Sox a little bit in 2018. Came in there, really helped the whole lineup get better by, you know, working with his mechanics. And Cruz, I feel like, does the same thing with the Twins. And 2019 was absolute force, even better than he was in, in, in 2020, arguably. 41 home runs, 108 RBIs. So that's pretty good numbers for a whole year, right? Oh, wait, he only played 120 games that season. So think about in a full season, even at his age, I mean, you know, he's a pretty old player at this stage of his career, but he's still shown that he can get it done with the bat. No doubt, and I think age is obviously somewhat of a concern. 
uh, for someone who's 40 years old, but he gets better with age, you know, and as long as he could, I think as long as he could play 120 to 130 games, the Twins should be in good shape, just like he did in 2019. And he was the best hitter by far on a Twins team last year that obviously had high expectations offensively and took a little bit of a step back statistically, led in hits, led in home runs, highest OPS on the team as well for qualifiers at 992, 2019 to 20, just a combo of those two numbers, uh, 1,020 OPS, 626 slugging, 57 homers, 141 RBIs at the ages of 38 and 39 years old. You know, he is well past his prime, at least what you would typically say for a, someone who's 27 to 30 years old. That's generally what the prime is for a player. And he's 40 years old right now, making $13 million, which is a lot of money for someone at that age, uh, is pretty impressive. And like you said, his personality is infectious. Such a huge leader in that clubhouse. We saw him wearing the robe in the dugout during this season. Very philanthropic, gives back to the community. He does everything right. You know, he's a very interesting case because you have the PED suspension back with the Rangers about seven, eight years ago. And you're thinking, man, you know, is he done? Is his career over? Maybe he's going to fall off, you know, and be a little bit of Mr. Unrelevant. But he comes back, bounces back, has a big year with the Orioles, comes to the Mariners for four years, fantastic numbers, and continues to, you know, almost top it with the Twins at 39, 40 years old, which is really, really impressive. You know, and I'll move right on to another guy who just seems to get better with age, and that's Alex Colomay. He, you know, just signed with the Twins for one year, $5 million with a 2022 mutual option. He had a fantastic season, best one of his career in 2020, albeit in a shortened season. He had an, a .81 ERA. I mean, that's a crazy stat right there, no matter what, if he had some luck on balls and play, regardless of any of that. A .81 ERA, you know, you got to have some success mixed in there, and he had 12 saves with the Twins, or with the White Sox, rather, same division, different team he's moving to now uh, in 2020, and he had 30 saves the year prior to that with the White Sox as well. 138 saves in his career, he's proven that he's a guy that can get it done. He has a 2.95 career ERA, and you know that .81 ERA is something that the Twins would like him to replicate next year. But you know, if he's anything close to that, I think he can be a huge help for their back end of their bullpen. No doubt. I mean, two runs in 22 innings is pretty dang impressive. Uh, .94 WHIP as well. Uh, since 2018, he's been one of the most dependable relievers in the game. 2.62 ERA in about 150 innings pitch in that span. I mean, this guy is the you know the the man of consistency. He hasn't had an ERA that has risen above four in his entire pro career since he was 19 years old playing rookie ball with the Rays in 2008. So uh, he's very dependable. As you said, gets better with age. And it's good for the Twins as well after Whistler going to the Giants, free agency made of the Mets. Clippard and Romo are available, but still free agents. Uh, brings a guy that you could put in. And if Rodgers is struggling. I mean, you could. I'd almost imagine that Colomay's going to close right now at this point on opening day anyway. And then you have Rodgers and Duffy maybe eighth, seventh, and eighth inning. Uh, but it helps them out for a couple of big losses in their bullpen for sure. Yeah, I'd almost be imagine that this would be one of those situations where maybe Rodgers would face kind of the heavy lefty parts mm-hmm. of lineups and Colomay would face some of the righty heavy parts. But, you know, Colomay is a very successful pitcher against uh, – left-handed batter so it'll be interesting to see how he is used he's one of those guys you know I'll touch a little bit on his you know how he pitches he's one of those ground ball heavy guys he's not going to you know dominate you with stuff but you know that's concerned some teams I know a lot of fans like to have those strikeout fire throwing relievers at the closer position but Colomay has shown that he can get good results with his style of pitching no doubt I mean I remember the best example 2018 the Mariners acquiring from the Rays 
you know, you got Colome steady, consistent, dependable in the eighth, and then Eddie D firing fastballs, breathing fire out of his mouth in the ninth. You know, pretty dang good combo right there. And that's what I love about Colome, honestly, is that he's not flashy with the radar gun, which generally in this game today you see a lot, but he's proven especially as a reliever where the majority of relievers these days are throwing hard that you can get outs not being a guy who throws 95 plus with a nasty wipeout slider per se uh, which is pretty cool for sure and he's going to a competitor a chance to pitch in the postseason again if the twins can uh, continue their run from the last couple of years yeah, and one thing you want is a pitch-to-contact pitcher is a great defense behind you. He'll get Andrelton Simmons at the shortstop position there in Minnesota. And speaking of great up-the-middle infield defense, Colton Wong got paid nicely for his great accolades you know, in the field in his career. He got paid a two-year, $18 million deal with a 2023 club option with the Milwaukee Brewers. And, you know, he's not one of those guys, as I mentioned, who gives a lot of value with the bat. He can be a solid guy at the plate. He's a 333 career on base. He had a 350 on base percentage last year, but 326 slugging. So his on base is higher than his slugging by a decent margin. So he's not going to be one of those guys that's going to pound the ball out of the ballpark. But, you know, you get on base. He's a good base runner. He, as I mentioned, plays the field very well at the second base position, and that should help a team like the Brewers, who is going to be leaning on their pitching a little bit more than they're hitting, you'd have to imagine. No doubt. I mean, a gold glover in 19 and 20. Since 2018, he's been at the top of the league and outs above average. 41 defensive runs saved in that spam. You know, and I was surprised to see this at first because I just was not considering the Brewers to be a big fit. But, you know, you mentioned it to me and I looked more into it. Keston here, it was struggling defensively to say the least in 2020 and 2019 as well negative nine outs above average in 19 negative two in 2020 assuming he moves to first base Wong will be a tremendous fit defensively and you mentioned pitching that's what the Brewers are going to be relying on I looked at it Corbin Burns 39th in the league in ground ball rate at 47 percent Woodruff 23rd at 51 percent Hauser fourth at 59.9% of the 90 pitchers who faced at least 200 batters in 2020. So that should play a big role for them for sure. And I like the move. I like the move the more I look into it. You know, I do want to give Juan a little bit credit, a little bit of credit here. You spoke on the defense, which with those numbers, those ground ball rates, that's going to be a huge factor for the Brewers. But, you know, in 19, he wasn't that bad of a hitter. 108 OPS plus. He actually slugged 423. So a about 100 points higher than he did in 2020, and a lot of hitters struggled in the 2020 shortened season, so cut him a little bit of slack in that department. 25 doubles, 4 triples, 11 home runs, and 19 for Wong. So he can be a good asset at the plate at times. He's just got to do it more consistently. And, you know, that's kind of just like the cherry on top for the Brewers if he hits well because his defense, like you mentioned, is going to be there almost all the time. He's a very, very good defensive player, so... It'll be interesting for the Brewers. I think they're a team that you shouldn't sleep on in the NL Central. No doubt about that. Also brings postseason experience. You know, the Brewers have been the last couple of years, but Colton Wong has been in the big games. Obviously, what, the World Series. I mean, I remember him getting picked off, of course. I'm sure you remember that nicely, right? But uh, also the walk-off or run against the Giants and so forth. This played in the big games, and that should help him out as well, for sure. That's always something you want in the clubhouse. Yeah, and moving on, another... You know, middle infield postseason contender type move here. The Oakland A's have traded for Elvis Andrews, 
um, and a couple other minor league players and some cash considerations flying around this deal. The other major part of this deal was Chris Davis, the 247 home run hitting DH, <laughs> going to the Texas Rangers in return along with a couple other pieces I mentioned kind of in flux in this deal. But let's touch on the main two guys in this deal, Elvis Andrews and Chris Davis. Both struggled mightily over the past few seasons, both veteran guys, both guys that at one point were high-level all-star players. Who do you see as kind of maybe the winner early on in this deal, if there even is one? I don't know who the winner is because it's literally swap for swap, you know, swapping the contracts together. Now, it appears that uh, the Rangers are going to be receiving um, some more cash in this, or excuse me, the A's are going to be receiving some more cash from the Rangers, so we'll see how that plays right here. Uh, but it was interesting because these are two players that, you know, bleed the colors of their teams, right? Chris Davis signing that two-year $33 million extension going into 2019. On an A's team that rarely signs extensions. Also, he is said to love it there several times in Oakland. Then you got Elvis Andrews, who's been there forever. When I think of the Texas Rangers, you know, I think of Elvis Andrews because that era of Rangers is the only constant has been Elvis Andrews. But both of them have struggled mightily the last couple of years here. Um, so for the A's, you know, I did see some stuff saying if the A's are going to pay the 15-ish or so million dollars for Andrews, why couldn't they go get Simeon, who made about 18? I think the difference here is the fact that they were able to give up Davis compensates for that money. I don't think they would have been able to afford Simeon with Davis on the payroll as well. So I think that's the big deal in that case. Yeah, and you mentioned the interesting part of this deal is you know, there, there is actually multiple interesting parts, but I want to touch upon the one thing you said about Andrews being a mainstay in the Rangers lineup, and he's been there since 2009. I mean, that's 11-ish years he's been with the Rangers organization, so it'll definitely be interesting to see him in a different uniform. I think the A's had a major hole at shortstop. You know, if they were talking about maybe Franklin Barreto coming up, but I'm not sure that they're even confident that he's ready to hold down that job every day. I want yeah. to touch upon something interesting real quick. Uh, about Davis, I mentioned earlier how he's a 247 hitter. I want to mention briefly why I said that. Hit 247 in 15, 16, 17, 18. Four years in a row, 247 hitter. And in those four years, you know, he was a good home run hitter. 27, 42, 43, 48 in a massive 2018 season where he had a 137 OPS plus, 131 OPS plus in 17. But you know, since then, he's kind of fallen off a table. 23 home runs in 19, but that was an 83 OPS plus, which isn't really what you're looking for from a designated hitter. No, and I think, you know, it's a good opportunity for him to play every day with the Rangers, and he may have played every day with the A's. I think that he was platooning a little bit more last year in 2020. Think about the power bats they have now in that Rangers lineup, though, when you have Gallo and Davis. Uh, both strikeout prone guys. Now, obviously, Gallo, elite defender. Davis, not so much. Uh, but, you know, the Rangers are a rebuilding team right now, and I think this was literally swap for swap in terms of money. They were able to actually get a pretty decent prospect in this, and Jonah Heim, who's the Athletics' number nine overall prospect right now, obviously now going to the Rangers, had a pretty good year in 2019 in double A and A combined in 85 games, hit 310 OPS, 863, 30 extra base hits. The slugging jumped about 100 points from the previous year. I was reading a lot on it. Bob Melvin had talked to him about it, both of them being catchers and said that he needed more energy in his game. And then the next year in 2019, implemented that energy, was a little bit more, 
I don't want to say dedicated because he definitely was before, but had a little bit more emphasis on the importance of you know what it means to play and put up really good numbers and got a cup of coffee with a couple of A's in the big leagues last year. So it could be a pretty decent piece for the Rangers. Yeah, and ironically, you spoke upon it a little bit there. I think the more important piece of this deal, even though they're the most notable ones, are those minor league players and maybe even, you know, the cash is kind of the bigger, more important part for both of these teams in the front office. You know, moving on to another deal that kind of involves some decent cash is the another trade that went on in the AL West, and it's the Alex Cobb trade to the Los Angeles Angels for Jemai Jones. This is a really interesting one. And one that we were kind of a little bit perplexed on, and I think this could either go the right way or the wrong way for the Angels. Alex Cobb, I think, is a great pickup for the Angels just because he can provide a veteran presence and lengthen out that rotation. He had a 4-3 ERA with the Baltimore Orioles last year in 52 and a third innings pitched, 10 games started. And, you know, he had some really good success in in. 2017 with the Tampa Bay Rays and prior to that he'd been a really good pitcher for them as well he just kind of has struggled with health and consistency but if he can provide any of the you know veteran presence and innings that he pitched in 2020 with the Orioles and lengthen that out over a sizable margin that's really valuable for the Los Angeles Angels. No doubt and I was a little bit confused at first as well just like you I think it was Rosenthal who tweeted it that it was just Jones for Cobb straight up and I was thinking you know Jones is a pretty valuable prospect I mean number seven overall in the organization before the trade for a guy in Cobb who was getting was owed a lot of money and wasn't particularly fantastic but when you look deeper into it Cobb is owed 15 million dollars but the Angels will only have to pay five million dollars of it so that's actually a pretty fair deal for them I gets a lot of ground balls in an Angels infield that's pretty good defensively the big part for me is the depth and how it does lengthen the rotation like you said Bundy Heening Canning Quintana and Cobb Otani I'll put an asterisk on it we'll see what happens there all those guys starting pitching options for a rotation that gave up the fourth most earned runs in baseball last year at 297 earned runs they made improvements they got better you got to imagine those numbers will improve as well and should help out an offense that has been very productive the last couple years and has the guys like the likes of Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon and so forth. Two guys who have been MVP quality players the last couple of years. They don't need the Dodgers rotation. They don't need the Padres, the Mets rotation. They just need a good enough rotation to hold their leads for what is an above average offense. Yeah, and you mentioned Jemai Jones, and this is the part that kind of made this deal confusing, as you mentioned. Uh, he doesn't have great minor league numbers. I was looking at his minor league stats, but he was one of those guys that's been really highly touted by scouts and really came on the scene on that, you know, the alternate training site for the Angels last year. Obviously, how much stock do you take in that? I'm not sure, but maybe the Angels didn't think he was about that valuable to keep over a guy like Cobb where they thought it a $5 million deal for him. I mean, let's face it, the Angels need to win now. They have the greatest player in baseball, maybe in the history of baseball, arguably if Mike Trout sustains it for a little bit longer. I'm not against but, it. Yeah, they, need, they needed pitching help, and I think it came to the point where Give Perry Manassi and credit, you know, he was willing to sacrifice one of their, you know, high level or higher level prospects for a pitcher that can help them win now. So I'll give him credit for that. Yeah. And like, let's be honest here. Where does Jemai Jones play right now if he makes the opening day roster? I mean, you got Iglesias at short, uh, Fletcher at second, Rendon at third, and then Walsh Pujols at first base. 
you know, he doesn't have a starting spot. So like you said, in a win-now situation, you don't necessarily need him, and Cobb will impact them more right away next season. Yeah, and give the Orioles credit while we're at it for getting a good, good, you know, talented prospect to help them in the near future. So, you know, give them credit for that. Another trade by the Angels this week. This one was more of a money swap for the Cardinals. Dexter Fowler will go from the St. Louis Cardinals to the Angels. You'll have to think he kind of bridges the gap for Joe Adele. Give him some more time in the minors. Let Fowler start on opening day. He could be a nice bounce-back candidate at the bottom of the lineup. He struggled the past few seasons, but, you know, not too long ago, maybe as soon as 2017, he had pretty good offensive numbers. No doubt about that. It's an interesting story with Fowler. Obviously, you think 2016 wins the World Series with the Chicago Cubs then gets a big payday. Five years, $82.5 million with the Cardinals in those four seasons with St. Louis, slash 233, 334, 408. So obviously not fantastic numbers right there. But again, like the Cobb scenario here, the Angels are getting $12.75 million from the Cardinals to cover the majority of the $14.5 million salary next year for Dexter Fowler. So again, they're not paying much money. And like you said, it fills in the gap for both uh, Marsh and Adele if they want to start them both in AAA right now. Uh, so, you know, I don't think this is a game-changing move for the Angels. I think it's by low, especially given the fact that they're not going to be spending $15 million on them next year. The Cardinals will be paying the majority of that. But a veteran presence, just like I said with Wong, brings a winning pedigree, was on that 2016 Cubs team, was on a Cardinals team that made the playoffs a couple of times, both in 19 and 20. Uh, so good veteran piece for them for sure. And he's a switch hitter too, so he's a little bit versatile. And look, swap him at the deadline if you don't need him anymore. And Adele and Marsh are playing well uh, at that point. So it's just a good, good depth deepen, deepening of the roster move for them for sure yeah and you mentioned his stats with the cardinals over the past four years you know that slash line is boosted up from a very very good 2017 season but since then he struggled in 2017 i'll rattle off his numbers to show you guys what he was capable in his career he, was, he had a 122 ops plus with a 363 on base so he was a guy who knew how to get on base even in the past few seasons in uh 2019 and 20 his average was 238 and 19, but he had a 346 on base, so he was still walking. He had 74 walks, albeit with struggles, you know, hitting the ball. In 2020, he had a 233 average with a 317 on base. So that's a significant difference, so he still has a good eye at the plate. He has a proclivity for getting on base, and maybe he could impact the Angels. If you can get on base at the bottom of the lineup, you know who's going to be coming up soon after that, and that's Mike Trout in the, you know, dangerous top of the order for the Angels, so... At worst, if you can provide a veteran clubhouse presence and get on base at the bottom of the order ahead of those big sluggers for the Angels, you know, that's a good, valuable thing for them. And at a cheap price, too. I mean, he's getting paid, what, $1.5 million now because the Cardinals are paying most of that deal, you know. And the Cardinals will be getting a player to be named later. We'll see who that is. You it know, it be might pretty, be a— You know, I, don't know. I, could, yeah. I mean, the fact that the Cardinals are paying so much, it could be someone pretty significant. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting, but— We'll rattle off four moves here, and Max and I will discuss maybe some of the interesting things for these guys. Jonathan Scope, one year, $4.5 million with the Tigers. Mike Fires, one year for $3.5 million with the Oakland A's. Joaquin Soria, one year, $3.5 million with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And to wrap it up, one of Max's fan favorites, Felix Hernandez with a minor league deal with the Baltimore Orioles. Let's see, Max. Are we starting up with uh, Felix first? Let's see. Uh, what are these moves? What's the most interesting of these moves for you? Well, 
I am now partially an Orioles fan as I put on this oh, Orioles he's hat got right the, now. Yeah, he's got the Orioles cap Here, on. give me a second. Give me a second. I apologize to the listeners here. Just give me one second. Oh, boy. We What's this going to be? got the orange jersey as well. Oh, so he's we're... prepared. He's prepared. He's got the Orioles jersey, Orioles hat. Were you part of this Felix deal? <laughs> Did I you was, convince I was, him? I was in the room when the move was being made. No, I, I'm happy for Felix. Obviously... You know, he's one of my favorite players of all time, if not my favorite player of all time. And I'm happy he got an opportunity to play. You know, spring training last year was tremendous with the Braves. Garnered it was spring training, but still at the second highest ERA out of all pitchers that spring at 198. Stroke out 14 batters and 13 and two-thirds of an innings pitched. And then decided to opt out because of COVID-19, so he wasn't able to build off of that. But I think this is a good opportunity for him. It's a very inexperienced Orioles starting rotation uh, that he hopefully can battle for a spot for uh, and get up to at some point at the end of the season because look I just want to see him throw innings you know it was definitely a tragic end to his Mariners career I think a part of that was is he got a little bit too complacent with the situation that he was in but maybe a change of scenery right here you know um He's, he's hanging on for dear life with his baseball career, so I truly believe that he'll probably be a little bit more open to some adjustments, and hopefully uh, a curveball that was pretty good in 2019 can help him get some hitters out here in 2021. Yeah, for me, one of the most interesting of these deals is Jonathan Scope. I'll touch upon this one here. Uh, in 2020, not only was he great with the glove, he was one of those kind of potential gold glove candidates at the end at second base for a guy that notoriously was more of a hitter. He hit well last year, too, 115 OPS plus. You know, he only played 44 games. He was banged up a little bit, had to, had to miss some time. But, you know, a good hitter, showed he can be a good, pretty good defender, and he returns to the Tigers here one year, $4.5 million, as I mentioned. That's not a bad deal for a guy who can be pretty valuable at the second base position. No doubt about that. And had a good year offensively. He touched on 799 OPS. I was a gold glove finalist as well, like you said, so a good defender. Um, and, again, for a Tigers team that – it's not quite there yet. A good move. I, I always say it's a broken record at this point, but if he's doing well, always a good guy to ship off at the deadline for prospects if you need to. Yeah, another deal I want to touch upon here that I thought was pretty significant was Joaquin Soria going to the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks really lacked a veteran presence at the back end of their bullpen. You'll have to think that Soria maybe slots into the closers role for them. I think he's a good veteran pitcher, and he's been one of the most consistent guys throughout his career. No doubt. I, and You know, this is an interesting take, and I just thought of this, but I feel like Joaquin Soria could be one of those guys that slips onto the Hall of Fame ballot. You know, I don't think he'll get in, but he's had a very, very good career. He's 37 years old. Be a good replacement for them, shipping Bradley off at the deadline last year to the Reds. Uh, limits a lot of hard contact, like Alex Colme, who we talked about earlier. Uh, doesn't, you know, overpower you on the radar gun. You know, doesn't show off a 99-mile-an-hour fastball or anything like that, but his really good spin on both his slider and his curveball uses his slider a lot more. Both were very, very good pitches for him last year in terms of vertical movement. Uh, so hopefully he can help out a Diamondbacks team that needs some bullpen help. And you know what? Let's just touch upon Mike Fires just to wrap it Can't up here. Out. I mean, Can't leave him yeah, and we already talked about the other three, so let's just give our thoughts on this one. You know, Fires is a veteran presence. We'll step into the A's rotation. Apparently, the one interesting thing I will touch upon this deal, an interesting fact, apparently the A's were the only team to offer yeah. Fires a deal, and you'll have to wonder, is that something to do with 
the cheating scandal where he was kind of known as the snitch of Major League Baseball for ratting the Astros out. I know he got a lot of hate for that. Maybe some teams didn't want to deal with bringing him into the clubhouse after that. He's had some other, you know, weird off-the-field controversy in his career, if I'm not mistaken. You know, there was something about underage uh, you know, dating or something weird going on like that. But I heard, uh, you know, maybe that impacted. I'm just trying to figure out why a veteran pitcher like him wouldn't get a uh, another offer. Maybe the 28 other teams besides the A's and the Astros are using sign-stealing uh, technology to uh, steal signs, and they're afraid he's going to rat them out. I don't know. Um, it could be that, and I think maybe there's a sort of trust and maybe teams are afraid he's going to share that information with other organizations but either way he's had a very solid career 4580 ERA in 59 innings last year uh, he'll eat some innings for the athletics this season but go back to 2019 was very good 390 ERA and 184 and two-thirds of an innings pitched so uh, deepens and lengthens that rotation and is a guy that they like there in Oakland so a good move for them Alrighty, that is going to wrap up the show today. We thank you guys so much for tuning in again. We'll get you guys an episode out every Saturday. We're approaching opening day. I mean, we're about a week away from Pitchers and Catchers Report. I cannot believe it, but we are super excited to go on the ride with you guys as we enter spring training and then opening day. For Ryan Medeiros, I'm Max Tanzer. We thank you guys so much for listening to Matanzer's A Baseball Podcast. Have a great rest of your weekend, day, evening, morning, whenever you're listening. We appreciate it.